what's going on you goddamn degenerates welcome to the first episode of the six pack book club this has been long overdue but here we are live and in living color and here we're going to talk about books beers whatever other bullshit comes across my brain we're going to cover everything from biographies to sci-fi to everything else in between this week we're going to cover kitchen confidential by the late anthony bourdain uh a book that not only resonated with my generation of cooks and chefs, but those the generation before me, those the generation after me, and especially in light of his passing, I think that it continues to inspire and in some cases disgust uh, a large portion of people. And, and, and it may or may not get people into the kitchen. It may scare people away from the kitchen. But um, it's funny to read this now in light of his passing and in light of the way the business used to be. Um, because a lot of this is the way restaurants and even, even in my sector of the world, you know, where you're talking, um, higher education and what's known more as like commercial, uh, commercial cooking that, um, the business was still very similar, uh, in a lot of ways. But, you know, it, it's it's funny to read this and see how much of it's changed. And sometimes for the better, some, I mean, sometimes for the worse. Uh, but that you'll get that with any change. Um, I chose this because uh, if anyone's followed the, the Facey Space, you know that I meant to post this, I don't know, months ago. And I had recorded this once or twice. And I lost one when I was trying to defrag my computer. The other one I didn't really like. And life kind of got in the way, uh, but I've recommitted to, to getting this off the ground because I really think it's a great idea. Plus, I like to drink beer and read books, so, you know, uh, I don't really have anyone else to talk about it. So I just figured I'd record it and see, see if anyone else would like to talk about it. <laughs> so I think, I think one thing that one thing throughout throughout the whole book um is the tone in which he wrote and then we're gonna we're gonna read some more anthony bourdain books too not just his more memoir works but we're gonna you know i want to read the tales of bobby gold i mean i have read it but cover it on this show uh bone in the throat which i thought was particularly good and uh gone bamboo um he also wrote uh typhoid mary which isn't exactly my favorite one of his books but i'll read it anyway um but the tone and tenor of his his memoirs is just like the shows that we you know we all enjoyed. Um, you know, this book in particular was more written for for cooks and chefs. And I think that's why it's continued to inspire. And it inspired me to I had already been cooking at the time before I got my hands on this. It was written before I started cooking actually, and then I got my hands on it and I was like, Oh yes rock and roll let's do this uh and anyone else who happened to enjoy it you know is a bonus and a lot of people enjoyed it um but i wanted to start off with this because it was such an important book plus at the time that i was looking at starting this uh roadrunner just come out which was the documentary uh, about his life after kitchen confidential blew up and until you know he unfortunately passed and i thought that it was I thought that it was a really good, I thought it was a really good documentary. I thought it was, I thought it was a lot like watching, uh, watching one of his shows, you know, Morgan Neville had done a lot of work with Tony and, uh, he was the one that directed it. Um, 
you know, they didn't highlight a lot on the end of his life, but I think that's because, you know, you don't want to, even though it happened, you don't, you know, they dive into reasons why and unresolved issues with addiction and, you know, losing his family separating, even though he hadn't lost them, but that loss of that home feeling, um, you know, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of reasons you can never, you can never really, I think you can never really pinpoint why anyone decides to take their own life. Um, it's tragic. And all I can say is from someone that struggles with their, with their own mental health from time to time, uh, check on your friends, man, give them a call, shoot them a text, see how they're doing. Uh, even if you don't think you're that close, uh, you never know how you reaching out to them can impact them just to, just to make them feel like they're known that they're wanted, that they're loved and that, you know, that, uh, that their life is worth living. So, but over, but to get on a, on a, a happier tone, um, I really liked the documentary. It reminded me a lot of the, uh, the last magnificent, which, uh, Bourdain had a big hand in producing. It's a documentary about Jeremiah tower, uh, which is another, even if you're not interested in cooking or chefs, like that's, it's a really interesting documentary. Jeremiah tower is a fascinating human being. Um, we're going to read his, we're going to read his book too, at some point, um, into the fire. Uh, he's just, uh, just to listen to him talk and his view on life. And I, there's so many good quotes that out of that documentary that I particularly love. It's one I can watch over and over again. Um, but definitely if you, if you've seen Roadrunner and you liked Roadrunner, definitely look at, uh, the last magnificent by that highlights Jeremiah tower. Um, Jeremiah, T just go on a little Jeremiah tower, tower rabbit hole here. Uh, kind of one of the more forgotten figures in modern American and the whole quote unquote, California style of cooking that Alice Waters made her reputation on. And then you had guys like, uh, Thomas Keller come along and kind of reinvent the wheel there. But, um, no, Jeremiah tower, fascinating, fascinating human being uh and definitely definitely a documentary to look into like i said we'll get into into the fire uh probably not probably not in the too recent future but uh definitely down the line i don't want to burn you out on chef books because we're going to read a lot of them because i own a lot of them um we're going to go through blood bones and butter by gabriel hamilton uh yes chef by marcus samuelson on the line by grant ockett's and Jeremiah Tower, and I have a couple other ones hiding out, but we'll get there. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of go through the book as as I'm going to for, for the for the rest of the shows. I'm just gonna kind of go through the book linearly um, from start to finish. Hit on some high points, some uh, some parts that I some parts that I liked. How and this is gonna be this is gonna be a very personal episode because like I said, this book really resonated with me. So I'm gonna weave in a lot of personal stories too, but I, I wanna try and keep it focused on what on the the high spots in the book and the tone, the writing style, and what I pulled from it, what you could pull from it. Um and we'll see 
we'll see where we go. So one of the first, one of the first big high spots of the book is where he talks about family vacations to France and how oysters inspired his love of food, having the fir- having his his first oyster. And I think this is really, it's it's a it's a really great story on how one falls in love with food, but it also it's also a great example of how his his storytelling abilities that we've all that we all come to know and love in his in his other writings and on his show how his storytelling abilities are really there on display you can put yourself there you can you can see it you can feel it even if you've never had a raw oyster you can almost taste it you almost know what it's like um and for some of you that don't like raw oysters that's your problem not mine <laughs> but and and it's and it shows how he is how he kind of puts himself out there as an everyman because he can make these stories these experiences that you may not experience you may never experience but he can boil it down to its essence and he can make it relate to you he can reach out and even though you may never have that experience of a raw oyster you may never want it but you can you feel like you've had it and that's what sparked his love for food um i i wish i had a story that inspirational for it i it's one of my favorite parts of the book is that beginning is those beginning chapters but for me it shows how food and cooking is so inspi- is so intrinsically uh, tied to memory and to experience because that's, that's what I've always tied to. That's why I always love the holidays. I may bitch, piss and moan about cooking for the holidays, but it's one of my favorite things to do because that's, it, it brings, it brings everyone together. It's, and it, and it ties me back to memories of going over to my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it was an event. And I've always loved the event. Uh, that's why when I started cooking, catering was always catering has always been my first love because it's the event. I love the event. Um, and you know, and selfishly too, it's a chance to showcase. But it's it's more so the satisfaction of of pulling off that event. And another another parallel. I don't want to say a parallel, but. After, you know, after his childhood experiences and he had, you know, he had had some, some drug fueled experiences in Provincetown, which is another great part of the book. Um, but you know, he wasn't sure what was going on in life and he got a job as a dishwasher and fell in love with the environment of, of the kitchen. You know, he always, he had said that cooking is like, is like the last meritocracy. It's. It doesn't matter for for a, for a large extent. It doesn't matter who you know. It matters what you know and what you can do, and that's how you that's how you rise. You don't you know you don't rise because you know somebody or somebody knows you, and you can know everybody. But if you can't cook, if you can't if you don't have that inherent foundation, that inherent skill, you're not going to go anywhere. And especially for someone like himself and and. And like myself, you know, that's when you're, when you don't feel like you, 
fit in to anywhere in particular, but you, you fit into this group of misfits where you're all working, you know, you're, you're accepted because everybody doesn't fit, but you all fit together. Um, I think that's one of the coolest, I think it's one of the coolest things about kitchen general. Um, you, you, you come across so many people that have different walks of life that have been the different things. Some of them, some of them have been to jail. Some of them are felons. Some of them, you know, this is just, they're, they're between jobs. So they decided to cook and that's what they, that's what they fell in love with. And, you know, and it's, it's a great way for people to come together. And, and in the, and in the environment, he does this great, he does this great job of describing when he was washing dishes and how the hierarchy of a kitchen works. It's, it's an inherent, it's an inherent environment where you, when you walk in, you automatically know where the hierarchy works. You don't really have to ask questions. You understand that if you're doing dishes, you're, you're at the bottom of the, you're at the bottom of the totem pole. But at the same time, a great dishwasher is worth their weight in gold. I'll tell you that right now, but it's, it's great that, you know, he, he clearly describes the hierarchy and how cooks and chefs, especially in the back of the house at that time, because chefs being present in the front of the house, no one really cared. Um, but in the back of the house, they, they run the show. It's their, it's theirs. They're the rock stars. They're the ones that are, are getting it done. And that, you know, they're, they're the bar. And that was always something that I looked up to too, is as, as, as a young dishwasher, I was 14 when I started washing dishes and like, I just, the cooks always had the most fun. They always looked like they were enjoying what they did and no one for the most part fucked with them, which was great. And as a, as a 14 year old dishwasher, uh, everybody fucked with you. Well, I was in a different situation. Uh, my mother happened to work on the, in the same environment as me. And most people were afraid of her, uh, but they had no problem telling me uh, how much of a pain in the ass she was, which was hilarious. Cause she is a pain in the ass. Um, and like, like I said, in the, like I said, in the intro, it's really funny that this, that, you know, the book is the, a memoir of the way a lot of things used to be. You read a lot of, you read a lot of this book and you couldn't, you couldn't get away with that today. You definitely couldn't get away with a lot of it today. Just the, the conduct, um, you couldn't get away with, you know, uh, fucking a bride to be behind a garbage, just behind a garbage dumpster, uh, while the rest of her party is out in the dining room. Like that just, you know, that just doesn't happen every day. Uh, and it, I mean, it doesn't happen so much anymore either, but. And also, you know, he's very skeptical of the way the business was going, um, because a lot of, especially after this book came out, but even during like there was, there was the, the big food channel boom where a lot of people were interested in becoming cooks and chefs because of food network, because of guys like Emerald and Mario Batali 
and Bobby Flay and you know that was when Gordon Ramsay was coming up but you you could really only see his shows if you watched stuff on uh BBC but it romanticized it romanticized the kitchen environment and I think you there was a lot of this was one of the this is one of the books and then actually getting into the environment that stripped that romanticism away for some people um because the life's hard the life's hard in restaurants the life's hard in catering the life is hard no matter what avenue of food service you're in it's a hard life um i don't want to say that you know i don't want to say it's the hardest job but as far as quality of life or work-life balance if that's what you're looking for you might want to consider you might want to consider another another line of work it's one of the and it's one of those things too it's one of those things that i struggle with till now uh you know work-life balance is great but there's some there's some sick uh sadism to being proud of you know yeah i worked 16 hours i work seven you know i work six or seven days a week i work this many hours a week and surviving you know just to 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 do it and to put yourself in that kind of situation just to say that you got out on the other side clean but you never get out on the other side clean you always you always walk away with some scar tissue you always walk away with a new, whether it's a new burn or a new cut or, you know, yeah, you're starting to get back problems. Oh, your feet are bothering you. Like you, you never get out clean. It's crazy. It's a crazy dichotomy. And we'll get, we'll get into that more. Another part that I really liked once he was talking about cooks, how he broke them down into artists, exiles, and mercs mercenaries i think he put mercenaries there i put mercs in my outline who cares but you know you have and and to give you the reader's digest version if you didn't read it along with me but if you didn't read it too then i'm not quite sure why you're listening to this but you know whatever but you know the artists are those guys that presentation is everything you have these beautifully, these stunning plates, you know, guys, and we're going to read, and I'm going to read books by, you know, the, the Grant Ockets and Alinea's of the world and the Thomas Kellers. You get into that high level Michelin environment where it's not just about the technique and the execution. It's about the look and making food art. And that, as much as I admire that, that would never, that's never my style. I I could, it just, it was never me. I, you know, I, I take care in the presentation and how things look, but I'm more fascinated with the technique, the execution, the nuts and bolts of it, the, the presentation, and whatnot, while I've learned to appreciate it more over the years and I've learned to be better and more creative about it, that's never been the fascinating part about cooking for me. Cooking for me has always been about technique and the craft and the execution of different methods and executing them properly. That's that's what gets me going about food. It's not so much the look. 
it's not so much can I make this, can I make a balloon taste like an apple or, you know, any of that outrageous shit, which is, which is beautiful and it's cool and it has its place. That's never been for me. And then his second class was Exiles and you run into a lot of them in food, especially, you know, especially now where you have people re-careering and changing jobs and you get guys like you get guys that come off of construction sites to cook and, and all this, you, you get so many walks of life that have done so many different things and they manage to find themselves in the kitchen somehow because we're, because kitchens are, you know, they're the land of the misfit toys. So all will, you know, give us your, your tired, your poor and huddled masses and, We'll put jackets on them, put knives in their hands, and, you know, we'll, we'll teach them how to cook for you. And then his th- the third class, you know, the mercenaries, the mercs, the 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 guys that, that walk in, they know how good they are, but, you know, they're not, they're not here for a long time. And that was how I used to spend my summers was because I work in higher education. So when, when the summers would die off, I'd go work country clubs for cash. I'd go work restaurants for cash. I was the guy that, you know, Hey, we need someone, uh, we need someone in a pinch for 200 plated on Saturday night. And let's see, is Jared doing anything? We'll give him a hundred bucks and beer and, you know, see if he shows up and God damn it for a hundred bucks and, and a six pack of beer, you get a lot of work out of me. So, but, you know, it, I always, I liked the way that he painted, that he painted the pictures of cooks because that's still, you can still see that in any kitchen today. Um, and the other, th- and the other thing coming off of that was one thing that, that he preached in the book that I've always preached to staff is you can't teach character. And I feel like that's in any profession, you know, you, you can't you can teach someone how to like if I brought someone in off the street, I could teach them how to use a knife. I could teach them how to saute. I could teach them how to braise, make soups, etc. But if they don't have that character, that drive, that will to be better, to learn and to not let their ego get in the way, um, then I can't, then I can't teach them anything. If, if, if they have that, then, you know, the, I can bust open a lot of doors for them. But if, and, and, you know, any chef will tell you that any manager of any business will tell you that, that, you know, I would much rather have someone with a good attitude and no ability than someone with all the ability of world and a shit attitude because a shit attitude will ruin your kitchen. It'll ruin your team. It'll ruin everything faster than some guy that's a great person to be around, but just doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. And now we're getting into the parts that the part of the books where he's, he goes into kind of the, the day to day restaurant life, the day to day food life. And this has changed a lot from, the early two thousands when he wrote it. And it's even changed a lot from when I first read it in the early two thousands. But you know, there's, but there's still a lot of basic words to live by 
within that when when you're when you're when you're going out or even when even when you're at home even when you're at the grocery store you know <clears throat> because foods you know one one of the most one of the most well known is 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 the fish on monday story don't eat fish on monday because 10 to 1 it was brought in on friday it's been in their cooler for days it's still quote unquote good but it's it's on its last legs um and that's you know a lot of that's true you walk into you walk into any restaurant and i can almost guarantee to you that ooh whatever the special is is something that is not not necessarily bad but it needs to go so we're we're weaving it in to make it sound sexy so that way you'll buy it. That's just it's the way it is. Restaurants, catering, etc. They make money on taking product that's already been paid for and turning it around and making it something new. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. Um, and then the other thing that he takes a shit on that has become wildly popular is brunch. And I happened. I'm not a morning person. But I love to cook breakfast. Breakfast is probably my favorite meal to eat. I could eat breakfast food three meals a day, all week. I just, I could never get tired of it. There's something about bacon, eggs, or meat, eggs, potato. And then, you know, you throw in some pancakes, which are the king of battered breakfast item. So you French toast and waffle people can fuck it. Um, But pancakes are king. I don't care if they're crepes or pancakes; they're they're delicious. Um, but you know, brunch brunch was always brunch is always the dreaded shift because you know you go out Saturday night, you party a little too hard, you got to get up Sunday morning. I used to I pigeonholed myself for years into doing an omelet station <laughs> on Sunday mo- or Saturday morning. And I would, I'd go out Friday night and have the time of my life and come in and cook, cook omelets hungover for hours, you know. And then when you're feeling normal, when you finally got enough water and Powerade in you, you know, the day's over and it's time to go home. So, uh, and then, and part of his restaurant hacks, part of the restaurant section was the importance of mise en place and mise en place is everything has its place. And if you've never worked in a kitchen, like your mise, it's, you just don't, it, it, it's so important to be organized, particularly on a restaurant line, but in any kitchen, like if your prep, your mise isn't done or it's not done on time, it just fucks the rest of the day, man. It just fucks the rest of the day so hard. And then heaven forbid someone messes with your mise, even like, so I used to have this thing when I'd work lines about my towels. My towels were always part of my mise. I always folded my towels a certain way. I always had a certain number. They sat in a specific spot and you don't touch my towels. I got towels for me, not for you. And that's the same thing with all of my mise. I was like, I feel like all cooks are super militant about your mise, but me in particular, my towels, I, I always hated people messing with my towels because working a business, working a saute station, which is what I worked for a long time. 
you need to have you need to have your towels there to grab pans off the burners, pans out of the oven, pans out of the salamander. Like you just you need towels. And if someone would come and take my towels, I would for a brief second consider stabbing them. But then I would have to probably rehone my knife, and that's just no fun for anyone. And <laughs> but me's and 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 a lot of cooks translate that into how they conduct themselves in everyday life. Like I can I can look at cooks and see how they set themselves up as probably to probably what their home looks like. So, and that's, and that's the same for me too. I go through cycles um, because I'm not, I don't necessarily need to actively cook all the time, but when I do, everything's organized for me. When I cook, I like to keep as much organized as possible because the rest of my life is so disorganized uh, that I need to hang on to that and keep it and keep it together. Um, but another funny, another funny thing that I found that shows you how I, I, I keep saying dated, but I don't want to say dated, but how, how much things have changed is that his disdain for vegans and vegetarians, which has been apparent, you know, throughout all of his writing, all of his television, but the, the, the tone and tenor in general has changed so much because vegans and vegetarians, you know, that population is ever growing, especially vegans. They are the militant vocal minority. Um, if you piss them off, all of their friends will know and their friends, friends will know their second cousin will know. Um, their uncle in North Carolina will know, uh, everyone will know. And not only with that, but you know, allergens in general because of the way food gets so heavily processed and you know that's a whole different story commercial food production and commercial farming like it's just that's a whole different conversation which we can have another time but it's help create and help attribute to so many allergens peanut allergens tree nut allergens um eggs dairy corn corn's not a top eight major allergen but the rise of corn allergies and how much corn and soy and corn syrup is in everything you eat. If you, and if you think I'm a liar, go into your cupboard, go through your fridge, go through your whole goddamn kitchen, look and see how, what has soy, what has corn. I guarantee three quarters of your kitchen has it. But you know, what do I know? And, and another thing too, and I know that, I know that my family can attest to this is that once, once you've been particularly in restaurants or catering, it's funny how he, in, in the book, he talks about how working in the business ruins, sometimes it can ruin or enhance your experience in dining elsewhere. Uh, if you go to somewhere that you know, has really great food. Like I used in the summers, I'd like to start doing it again, but on the summers I'd road trip. I'd take a day trip and go to like, I went to Chicago. I ate at Alinea a couple times. You know, I would like to go places just to eat. And because, because that's what I do for a living, 
to go there and to see someone at that level of craft do that, like that's it's a it's inspiring and b it's just cool as shit. <laughs> like I said earlier, to go to to go to some places like that, like I I know that I I mean I could do it if I if I worked at it, but that's not my style and I know that's not my forte and I'm okay with that. But to go and see that and to experience it and to taste and enjoy it man that's really fucking cool it's so cool and just to sit there and wonder how how do you make a balloon taste like an apple like how do you do that and putting smoke on dishes and lift and i like and now it's expanded into cocktails like you know you're you're smoking salt for rims of fancy ass margaritas or or you know grilling it's just it's it's so cool but at the same time when it's bad i'm i'm a miserable like it's it's horrible to be around um and i know that my family can my family and friends can attest to it because if i've gone and had a not pleasant experience like i'm just gonna mumble and grumble about it forever for the rest of the day um but on the flip side of that too, you know, <clears throat> it gives you an appreciation for what, you know, at the same time, you know, those, even if you had a bad experience, like, unless it's just a totally like shit place to go, you know, you're part of that clan. So you tend to sometimes give people passes and anyone that's rude to servers or don't tip, go fuck yourselves. Like, don't, don't take it out on them. They're just doing their job. But it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's just like if, it's just like if you were a a contractor and you walked into a house or a building and you're just kind of like, what the fuck's going on? Or, you know, you're looking at like, you know, my dad sells floor, you know, he can walk into a house and know instantly what's you know, oh, they bought cheap shit or, you know, whatever, stuff like that. I mean, it works no matter what profession you're in, but because, you know, because you, you have to eat first of all, and you got to eat so much. It's, it's one of those things that is just always in your face and it's, and it's interesting. It's interesting how you have a different perspective. And the other part that that I appreciated from from the book was where he goes into, you know, and I get asked this a lot, you know, what separates my kitchen, my my kitchen at at work from and not so much my kitchen at home because I have all the gadgets, but like, you know, someone else's kitchen. And he goes into, you know, having a good knife, which is so important and you don't need all the knives. You don't need all the fancy knives. You need like one good chef's knife, a paring knife, and that's really it. If you want to get a serrated knife, like a, uh, or you want to call it a bread knife, that's fine. But you don't really need it. You just need some simple things to, you know. And he goes on, he talks about needing, you know, a mandolin comes in handy. And it does, but don't cut your fucking finger off. And garnishes and using things like shallots and how much butter especially where he came from which was which is a 
a French style brasserie, like the amount of butter, the amount of fat in general that goes into food would be staggering to some people. But butter makes everything better, baby. So don't don't worry about it. And moving on to staying in staying in the restaurant zone, you know, he talks about you know how di- how difficult the life is, how difficult the business is, and it is a difficult business. It's a hard job. It's it's tough to you know, like I said, if you're if you're doing you know catering or you're working in restaurants, you know a lot of it you're looking at you know you're looking at ten, twelve, sixteen hour days. You know you're. You're there six or seven days a week, especially, especially as a chef. And it's, it's, it's all consuming. It's, it's one of those things where you, you, it demand, it's nowadays, I guess it doesn't demand as much as, you know, you take the pride in it that you, that you're willing to give that much. And like like I said earlier, it's it's kind of it's a double edged sword. It really is, you know. You you want that work life balance to to do things, but at the same time, you know, you've invested so much time. I've had I had this conversation with with a chef a few weeks ago because you know I've I've had I've had some problems uh, recently professionally. And, you know, I've thought, I've thought about quitting. I've thought about quitting cooking. You know, do I really need, do I really need to do this anymore? Do I need to put myself through this bullshit and this, you know, this turmoil for what, like, what am I getting out of it? What? And, and, you know, and he said, he said, he said a lot of things that I won't forget, but one in particular, was, you know, how often do you, you know, you've invested hundreds of hours, hundreds of thousands of hours to doing this. And you've committed so much, and this is just chefs in general, not me or himself specific, but, you know, you committed so much of your life to this pursuit. How can you walk away from that? How can you walk away from that investment? And it's it's a great it's a great point. How do you walk away from that investment? How you know? And it's hard. It's hard to do. And I you know, I don't think I I don't think I ever will. But like it's just it's one of those things. It's 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 an infuriating business. But at the end of the day, you know. I always joke around and say, I don't know how to do anything else. And quite frankly, I don't, but you know, I don't know if I want to do anything else. Like there's no, I don't like I've looked, <laughs> I've looked at jobs and it's just like, ah, no, even, even, in even, in even to stay in food and do, you know, you know, do I want to be some fucking fucking food salesman or some, you know, some shit like that is like, I don't know if I, I'd probably lose my mind. What little's left of it. But, you know, it's hard. But that's, but, but a lot of that too, especially for cooks, I mean, for chefs in general, 
you know, much like everything else, COVID and the pandemic has changed, has changed everything. It's put, it's flipped everything on its head as far as, you know, before as, and again, I was having another conversation with another chef about this before is like, you know, when, when I was, when I was coming up as a cook and, and he said the same thing and I'm pretty sure any chef around any chef or any cook around my age would be able to tell you the same thing is that there weren't enough hours to work. Like, you know, you, you went in, you, you worked as much as you, as much as you wanted to, as much as you had to. And you fucking had a great time and you went out and you partied, you went out, you, you, you drank, you did whatever extracurricular activities you partook in, you know, I'm not one to judge, but you know, you do, you do all that and you just get, you get caught up in that, in that life, in that hamster wheel, which is fun. It's fun for a long time, but then, you know, inevitably as you get older and your perspective changes, your life changes, you know, you want other things out of it. And that's, And for a lot of people, that's not enough anymore. And to work all that to work that hard for, you know, classically cooks have made very little. (laughs) And a lot of that's changing. You know, a lot of this, a lot of the new generations of cooks and, and food service workers that are coming up now, you know, they don't want to work that they don't want to work like that. Um, And rightfully so. I'm not saying I'm not going to sit here and say that they don't want to work in general, it's just that they're not, they're not willing to, to work like that. And for right or wrong, that's the way it is now. I've always thought cooks should get paid more, but you're always going to want it. You're always going to want success for your people. But yeah, it's, it's definitely like I said in the beginning, it's, it's so interesting to read, to have read this book now, given where the business is now, as opposed to where it was then. And along with, and along with the difference in working conditions, like, you know, you work in poor environments and, you know, and as, as he says in, in the part that's called the wilderness years, which is probably, one of my favorite parts of the, I mean, I love, I love the whole book. So, you know, I look at this through rose tinted glasses, but, um, the wilderness years is another favorite part where he talks about bouncing from place to place and, you know, taking jobs for the money and not necessarily for the opportunity to grow and to learn and to develop his skills better, you know, and, I, there's a lot of funny stories in there bouncing from place to place, uh, working in a mobbed up joint, um, and just the different restaurants and stuff that he found himself in. Uh, but that can, but you know, working in environments like that where they're poor environments or, you know, they're not going to go anywhere. It definitely dulls your skills and, you know, and maybe not so much your skills, but it kills your self-confidence. And it kills, and if, and if your self-confidence goes, then man, it's really hard to, it's really hard to bounce back. 
it's it's hard to keep cooking it's hard to keep working without that paranoia of oh shit like am i doing a good job is do i know how to do my job you know shit like that it's just working in poor environments and it's not necessarily that the restaurant's shit the the management could be shit like there's so many things around it that can impact you especially when you're the when you're the point person you're supposed to be driving not only the service but the vision and the and the the direction from a food perspective and if you don't have that support or that show that this place is going somewhere it's it's hard it's hard to motivate and if you can't motivate yourself it's really hard to motivate a team and in in kitchens this this is number one you've got to keep your team together and motivated and working together for a goal but and speaking of goals and teams and one another 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 part when he's talking about the wilderness years he goes on to about the importance of a good sous chef um which is super important because as as the head chef you need a number two that you can rely on because you can't you know no matter how hard you try no matter how much you work you can't put eyes on everything you don't see everything it's just the way it is um so you know they're they're your number two they're you know they they're your eyes that you can't see when you can't see and they're you know they're they're your safety net but but overall like you you know your staff like like you've said several times you know kitchens are the most dysfunctional families you know it's it's one of those things where like you know like everyone's got that relative that or that friend that you can make fun of but if someone else makes fun of them then fuck them you know and it's the same thing in a kitchen you know you can you know, you guys, you can make fun of each other and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, an outsider comes in. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. And, and the language, I, it's, it's a lot tamer now than it used to be, but you know, fuck is a comma. It's uh, a descriptor. It is, it's everything. I mean, you know, even though, you know, not supposed to curse that much. I mean, fuck is, fuck is, is used for everything. It's, uh, yeah. Cursing. I've, I've met, I've met a, a lot of, sh- I've met a few chefs and cooks where like, if cursing could be an art form, they would be Picasso or Rembrandt. Like they, they can use, they can curse with such eloquence and, it's just, it's incredible. And I, you know, I worked, I worked with a chef recently who had the, I, I always like to think that I have pretty good metaphors and ways to explain things, but this, he was on another level, like just describing, describing someone to me as being the guy at the strip club who wants to fuck the stripper Ir, you know he, he he knows he's not going to but he wants to know that he could but he's not going to but he wants to know that he could if he wanted to like just 
I was almost in tears as he's trying to explain this to me and I was driving at the time. Just, it just crushed me. You know, they're just, it's the, the kitchen breeds a language and a dialect and it's different for every kitchen. I mean, cursing is, 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 is uniform, but you know, short, the shorthand speak for ingredients. Like it's just, it's such a, a way of its own and it's, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to turn that off when you go home and, or when you're around family or family functions and you talk like you're at work because that's where you spend most of your day. You know, you're spending, you know, anywhere from 10, 12, 16 hours a day, you know, six, five, six, seven days a week around these people in this high pressure environment. And that's how you talk. And it's hard to turn that off when you're, when you're around other people, I have to actively like, I have to actively know in certain situations. Okay. I cannot curse. I cannot curse. And with, without fail, I won't say fuck, but like a damn or hell or a shit will slide out. Like, it's just, it's something that I, that I think I will struggle with until the end of time, but it's a good struggle to have because whatever it's fun. It's fun as shit. Um, and that brings us to, to the end of the book, um, where he takes his first trip to Tokyo and how transformative that trip to Japan was. Cause I believe it was his first time out of the country and, and they cover this really well in Roadrunner about how his romanticized vision of the world through movies and books and whatnot didn't match up, you know, it could never match up with what, what he saw. But when you, when you read that part of the book and I, and I have the extended edition, so there's a little bit more to it at the end, but that's not the point. Um, but to have this eye opening experience in a foreign land and to, you know, to, to really change his way, you know, to kind of open his eyes to all these things that he had seen or heard or, you know, had experienced, you know, bastardized versions of them in the States and, to and to experience them firsthand there, uh, to read that is, is super, is super cool. Um, and and it's also like to get to the end of the book now in hindsight um given how he passed and reading it in that light it's um it's very weird to read the end of the book because the end of the book kind of feels like it's his like it's the end, like it's the end of a love letter or like it's the, like he's resigned to, this is his level. He's not going to go down or up. This is just how life is going to be for, you know, the rest of the rest of his life. And it's, it's just, it's very weird to read that given how he died and that's that's something that's that kind of that stuck in my head for days after days after reading it is how the book ended and how it 
was kind of a love letter to the industry that he had been in for so many years and how like that was, he was kind of resigned to his fate and that was, and that was it. Like, I don't, I don't want to say that it was, you know, uh, a suicide note because it obviously wasn't at the time, but it kind of, it kind of felt like that resigned to his fate. This is his level and that's where we're going to go. Um, like I said, it's just, it's one of those things that, that haunted me or didn't haunt haunts a strong word, but it's one of those things that stuck with me that I kept thinking about for days after reading this book. Um, but I, you know, I loved it. I, it's one of those books that I go to and I will, I'll reread if I, if I've hit a wall and I don't want to read any of the many new books that I've bought or I just need something that I can comfort read or I can, there's something that I can put down and pick up and I know where I'm at. Um, this is the book for it. Even if you're not a cook or you don't work in food, it's such, it's such a great, the, the, the imagery that he provides and the way that he tells the story, um, is just, is re is really incredible. And it's, it's super fun to, uh, super fun to read. And like I said, it's one of those books that I can read uh, a bunch of times. Um, and he, and at the end of the book, at least the extended edition that I have, there's this quote from Marco Pierre white, which, uh, will be another chef that we probably talk about. Um, super huge influence, but, uh, that kind of, it's one of those things that, it's about the business that I really like, but anyway, so here's this, there's the end of the book. There's this quote from Marco Pierre white. He says, quote, I came from the old world of gastronomy. Many years ago, I walked into the kitchens of the hotel St. George, and I feel very fortunate that I worked for chefs that were behind their stoves. I saw that world of gastronomy. I can sit here today and say that I saw the golden age of gastronomy. It's gone. It's gone. It's never going to have that anymore. Once the accountants get involved, the romance fades. That's the reality. And I think that's, you know, I think, I think that any, regardless of if you came up cooking at that time or you came up cooking in my time or you're coming up cooking now or whatnot, I think anyone, and I think we do this throughout life. You, you go through any kind of phase and, you know, it's to you, it's, it's the glory days or the good old days. You look back on it and it's the good old days. And, um, and, but in, but slowly the, the, you know, the romance fades from it and it's not, you know, the, you know, the romance fades is fades from it as you're living it. But then you look back on it and go, man, those were good times. Those were fun. And that's how, I mean, that's how I look back on a lot of, a lot of, a lot of my jobs, a lot of my career is, you know, man, yeah, we, yeah, I, I was in some really weird situations and, you know, worked a lot, but man, I had a really great time doing it. So that is, that is, uh, that's the end of Kitchen Confidential, um, you know. 
this this book I didn't you know we got we got into some of the stories um but you know a lot of it was a little bit more a little bit more personal on my end um like I said I knew it would be because you know the book <clears throat> the book the book hits a nerve so but I sat here this evening drinking some Stella Artois I didn't get anything. I didn't get anything fancy. I wanted to keep it simple for the first show. And Stella's one of those, uh, even though it's you know, it's it's owned by InBev, but you know what isn't these days. Um, it's just it's one of those beers that you know it makes you look fancy, but it's 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 a you know it's a great it's a great beer to sit around and have six of, get a good buzz on, and then uh, you know, have a sandwich and fall asleep. Which is what I'm probably gonna do, but no, I I I really enjoy you know Stella's always one of those beers that's a that's a go to. Um, me, I grew up in a Budweiser family, so Budweiser is PBR. Um, we'll probably, I mean, it's I don't feel like I need to talk about Stella too much. I'm sure most of you listening have had it. It's light. It's delicious. Yeah, it is what it is. But. Before we wrap up, I just want to talk about a couple things because eventually, and I know uh, I know they probably won't be my most listened to episodes, but eventually we're going to read Dune and uh, at least the original Dune books. I don't know about the the Brian Herbert, uh, the later Dune books. I, I've read a few of them. I haven't read all of them. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, I watched the new Dune movie. Uh, on HBO and for not having confirmed that they're going to make a second one, man, they sure left it open for a second one. Like, I think I would have at least confirmed that we're going to make a second one before I leave so much out to make a second movie. Because if you've read any, if you've read Dune or even if you've seen the, the David Lynch film from, from the eighties, like there's so much that they left out. Like their stopping point in this movie was, I think the halfway point in the David Lynch version, but overall is a good movie. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed, uh, Timothy Chalamet as, uh, Paul, I I just I didn't think I would enjoy it, but I thought it was good. I thought it was a little deceiving in the fact that in all the trailers and whatnot, you know, you see Zendaya and the part of the Fremen, and they don't come into like the last like the Fremen show up early in the movie, or at least their leader does, Javier Bardem. Um, but then they don't show up to like the last half hour, which again. If you've read Dune, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you'll find out soon enough. Um, but no, it was a good movie. And I watched... What else did I watch? Oh, Halloween Kills. I'm a, I'm a fan of that old school slasher movie. Uh, aside from, you know, once they got... Once Friday the 13th like went into space. And there was, uh, what, Jason in New York. Um... Yeah, there were a couple weird ones, 
but I really liked when the when they did Halloween a couple years ago where they basically kind of continued from they basically threw out Halloween's three through whatever the fuck and uh, they basically kind of restarted with an older Jamie Lee Curtis. I thought it was a great movie. I love the ending of it. Um, this one I was I was disappointed in because they tried making Michael Myers not Michael Myers. If that makes sense, I'm not spoiling anything. You'll see. You'll see if you watch the movie. But you know the the beauty of Michael Myers was that slow progressive hunt, and a lot of the cinematography in those movies where someone would be like walking to answer the phone, and then you see you see Michael Myers in the doorway or in a window, like that creepy shit. I love that stuff. But now they turn into Michael like. At one point, at one point, you know, Michael Myers is has like five guys there and it's just like, hey, let's do this. Like, that's not how that operates. Come on. You got to be better. We all have to be better. But no. And then, of course, I watched Squid Game uh, on Netflix as as uh, as the Internet and, and the memes demanded. Um, man. I just so it's like, I just, I don't, I wish I could come up with a story that like that ropes that ropes people in like that. Like it just, it's on the, on the face, on the face of it. It's just, it's such a, it's such a strange setup. Like the, and, and I'll talk about squid game probably again in another episode where I or I give myself a little bit more time and and I'll spoil I'll give you a spoiler alert but if you haven't watched Squid Game do yourself a favor set aside some time pour yourself a beer or whatever you drink and watch Squid Game watch it with the watch it in Korean with the English subtitles because the English dubbing is weird and I just don't like it. I'd prefer to read subtitles, but, uh, but then again, I have subtitles on all the time. So, you know, whatever. Um, but no squid game. Super strange, super strange, but it was really good. Um, I'll probably talk about it more in detail next time. Uh, I'm going to try and keep these episodes bi-weekly. Uh, that seems like for now, uh, the best, it gives me plenty of time to read and record and whatnot. Um, if I get them done sooner then I'll record an episode sooner, but, uh, bi-weekly is where, where I'm at for right now. And hopefully, uh, you will have another episode in two weeks. And on that episode, we will be talking about the book called high school by the band Tegan and Sarah. Uh, a favorite of mine. Uh, it's a book about their growing up and realizing their sexuality and and all the awkward hijinks that happen in high school. It's actually being turned into a series uh, for Amazon, I believe. <clears throat> so it should be an interesting read. I, I mean, I know it as I've already read it, so I'm gonna read it again. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, you can follow me. 
uh, on Twitter at Shoeless Jared. You can follow me on Instagram at Shoeless Renegade. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at Six Pack Book Club. And this episode will go up, and the Six Pack Book Club website will be live at sixpackbookclub.com. So you'll be able to find all the episodes there. I'll be writing a blog, um, kind of highlighting some things about the show, the episode, myself, etc. If you're interested in that kind of shit. And uh, yeah, so hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time. <laughs>